This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Our scripture this morning is going to come from the Gospel of John, um, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I'm going, to, I'm going to set up the passage for us this morning. So if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to flip to it, that's where we're going to be um, this morning. It'll also be uh, projected on the screens, but that's John 20, verses 1 through 18. Now, as I've already mentioned this morning, um, it is great that we get to be together on this day to proclaim um, our belief that Jesus Christ is risen. And it is a a great tradition in the church to have this call and response of Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. And and what I like to do is I actually like to say it three times and then each time get progressively louder because I just like to be loud at times. And there's like a million of us in this room right now. That's how pastors count, by the way. There's a million of us in the room right now. So um, <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to try this out. You ready? Here we go. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Good job. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. One more time. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This uh, great claim of our faith that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, that Mary would run to the disciples and say something such as, I have seen the risen Lord, and that proclamation, that great claim of faith would be the thing that would propel what hadn't even really started yet, the church, the body of Christ to grow around the known world that Christ is risen. It is the same thing that we come together today um, to proclaim. And, and this is something that I say every single year on Christmas and at Easter. And it always, um, I just find it so interesting that on these days where we proclaim these great, big, profound truths of our faith, right, some of the biggest, most radical claims of our faith, not like entry-level claims of faith. I mean, stuff that you would have to have some serious level of faith to actually believe that that God came down in the form of a baby at Christmas and rose from the dead at Easter. The two most radical claims of our faith, and yet these are the days where people just flock to the church. And I believe that's because in, in some way, while these claims are incredibly radical, they're, they're also, in some ways, really simple for us. That when we say Christ is risen, that, that God has defeated death, that it gives us a hope that goes beyond, a hope that is attached to eternity, that a hope in the midst of all things, no matter how bad or hard or difficult it might seem, that we might have this stubborn hope to cling to, that we know that our God defeated the grave. I want to read to you my favorite Easter story in the Bible. It's from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And I'll read it for you now. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. 
Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place all by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been laying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she, returned, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, um, for those of you who might be new to our church um, this morning, for the past six weeks, we have been journeying through a conversation um, regarding what we believe as Christians and why it matters for us for our faith. Um, we've really sought to address those two foundational questions. What do we believe as Christians and why does it matter um, each sermon over the last several weeks? And to do this, uh, we've used the Apostles' Creed as our framework. Maybe you've heard about this creed. It's a great statement of our faith. I, mean, goes, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And it goes on and on and on. And each week, we have walked through, line by line, um, the Apostles' Creed, asking these two questions. What do we believe, and why does it matter? And so today, um, we come to the end of that conversation, and, and if you've been with us the whole time, or even if you're new, I'm going to invite us to say this um, together. We're going to say this last line in the creed together. It'll be projected on the screens, and here we go. Let's say it together. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's do it one more time. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Hmm. Kind of feels like we planned that one. That we, thank you. It's an early service too, I like one person chuckle, but I appreciate it. So um, we, we plan to get to this place of Easter where we would have this discussion about what it means to be people who actually claim this as belief. 
One of the things we said very early on in this conversation is that belief drives behavior. Belief drives behavior and influences action. So what does it mean to be people who say, we believe in the resurrection of the body? Well, the truth is that for people who are deeply connected to the church, or even for people who are nominally connected with the church, or nominally connected to their faith, um, this claim, no matter how big or how radical it might seem, um, seems to be something that people assume as like ultra-foundational to Christianity. Uh, you could almost go as far as saying that for most people who are in any way engaged with the Christian faith, without a resurrection of the body, there would not be a Christian faith. Like that is, that is one of the most foundational claims that we believe, that Jesus Christ died, and on the third day, he rose from the dead, and he ascended. This morning, as we read through this scripture, I want to share um, just one um, simple truth that has been powerful for me as I've engaged um, my faith and I hope um, is relevant to you today. Now, when we say that Jesus rose from the dead, when we claim a resurrection of Jesus, that is a full coming back to life of Jesus. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. And that distinction is important. It's important for us today and it's incredibly important for the people who would have been engaging this story at the time. Because believe it or not, this kind of language, this kind of language of, of coming back from the dead wasn't the most radical kind of language um, to use at the time. If people were gravely ill or even maybe mispronounced dead and then were able to, to find their health again, you find these sayings of people being raised from the dead in writing around this time. Jesus was not the only person walking around who people said, hey, look, this person came in and this friend of mine was dead and now all of a sudden they're alive again. And actually in John's gospel, this is not the only empty tomb story we have. There are two empty tomb stories in John's gospel. There's the one I read to you and there's one that happens in John chapter 11 with one of Jesus' best friends named Lazarus. Maybe you've heard this story before. Jesus is informed that Lazarus is very sick. But Jesus is not able to make it in time. They want Jesus to come because they know Jesus can heal the sick, so they want Jesus to come. He's not able to make it in time, so Lazarus dies. And the scripture says that they put him in the tomb, they wrapped him in the linens, they closed the, the door, and he was in there for four days. Four days. So Lazarus is like super dead. Been in there for four days. Jesus shows up. It says that Jesus was overcome with grief, overseeing his friends, Mary and Martha, weeping over Lazarus, over his own sadness, and it says that Jesus wept at the tomb, but that was not all that happened. Jesus asked the people to move the stone, and he called into the tomb for Lazarus to come out. And when he called for Lazarus to come out, here's what John tells us. John says, the dead man, four days, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now there is an important difference between the Lazarus story and between the Jesus story. 
and I'm wondering if, if you caught it just now. I'll read you this from John 20, verses six through eight. It says, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. When Jesus exits the tomb, he is still wrapped up in his burial linens. When Lazarus, did I say Jesus just now? Woo! Easter. <laughs> Easter. Okay, everybody pretend you didn't just hear that. Now, now get ready to go, ooh, you ready? Okay, hold on, wait. When Lazarus exits the tomb, he's still wrapped in his linen wrappings. When Jesus exits the tomb, he leaves the linen wrappings behind. Ready? Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Why does that matter? Why in the world does that matter? It actually matters a great deal for John. Here's why. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, we believe that he fully rose from the dead. And medically speaking, when you're talking about Lazarus, you might refer to that more as a resuscitation. Um, what do we believe eventually happened with Lazarus? He died. He died. He would eventually go on to die again. And this is the distinction that John is making. That when Lazarus came out, he came out still bound in those wrappings. But when Jesus came out, he had left them behind. Jesus left death entirely behind. Jesus left the very things that were trying to hold him to this world behind. He did not just leave them behind, but he took the time to roll them up and fold them and put them nicely and neatly in place. And this morning, I want to ask you a rather simple, but I hope um, maybe a relevant and profound question that lingers with you for a while, and it's this. What's wrapping you up? What's wrapping you up? In life, we certainly face things that feel like this, they have this finality to them. The brick wall moments that we feel we can't get past. We are wrapped up in crumbling relationships, whether it be with children, with spouses, with parents, with friends. We're wrapped up in unhealthy addictions. We're wrapped up in our insecurities. We are wrapped up in our sin in our sin and in all the things that seek to separate us from God. And yet here in this story, through God's mercy, we are reminded that Jesus did not only defeat death and defeat the very thing that no one had thought you could get past, but when he exited the tomb, he left it completely behind. And I wonder, are there things in your life that through the power of Jesus, you could seek to leave behind in Jesus' name?
that you could seek to leave behind in Jesus' name. And, and hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the Christian life promises um, a perfect, happy life with no issues, with no problems, but it puts life into perspective, into a proper perspective. It reminds us that even the greatest things that cause us to fear and be anxious can be left behind because we know that Jesus has given us a model for conquering death. Each week, I've shared with our congregation um, uh, something from a pastor named Adam Hamilton. Adam Hamilton wrote the book that we have modeled the last several weeks of our series um, behind. It's called Creed, What Christians Believe and Why. I want to read to you what he said about the resurrection. He says, it's been said that what you believe about death changes how you face life. What you believe about death changes how you face life. It leads us to face death with courage and to take risks we might not otherwise take. It puts this earthly life and what we do with it in perspective, and it helps us to grieve as those who have hope. This morning, it is my prayer um, that we would be people who seek to hope beyond, beyond our understanding, beyond what we feel is our capacity to hope, but with this reminder that Jesus not only rose from the grave and left the tomb, but left all those things wrapping him up behind. For the past five years of, of my ministry, I've ended my Easter sermons the same way every time. And it's, from this, it's with this quote um, from Frederick Buechner, who's one of my favorite theologians. And he said, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. You might be in the midst of a worst thing. Um, I have been there as well, many times, and I'm sure I will find myself there many times throughout the rest of my life. But I cling to that promise, that the worst thing is never the last thing, that by the grace of God and in Jesus' name, all that which seeks to bind me up here can be left behind. It can be left behind just as Jesus showed us. And so you may you leave this place filled with that hope. Amen? Amen. And now I know we have several new people in here, but every week we've ended um, each, each time for the sermon the same way and that we've, we've stood up as we are able and we've shared in reciting this creed together. So I'm gonna invite us to stand at this time and join together in claiming this great statement of our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body,
and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 